in unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect karma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas, having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept. I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. Please introduce yourself so that you're kind of identified on the recording. I'm Kelly McCubbin and Liam Morrissey. And uh, we're going to be getting the first half of this. So, good morning. So, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about the word refuge. And then I'll talk about taking refuge in Buddha, and Kelly's going to talk about taking refuge in Dharma and Sangha. So the word refuge. I started with basics and looked at Merriam-Webster, where they say refuge. To go to or into a place for shelter or protection from danger or trouble. And they gave examples like we took refuge in a nearby barn during the storm. They took refuge in another country or used figuratively after the death of her husband, she found refuge in her music. So Rev, Rev Anderson talks about it in a similar kind of way. He said the expression take refuge is translated from the Pali Sarana Gamana. Sarana refers to a shelter, protection or sanctuary, some place of peace and safety. And Gamana refers to the act of returning. So when we take refuge in the triple treasure, we are flying back to our true home. Now, recently, I heard a, a talk by um, Jiko Sally Tisdale, one of the teachers at Dharma Rain. And she was specifically, she was talking about taking refuge in Sangha and some of the challenges there, which uh, a number of the residents got quite a few good laughs at. But she also talked about the, the word refuge, and, and she talked about it in a way that I hadn't, uh, I wouldn't have thought about it in that way or hadn't heard about it spoken about in that way before. Um, she talked about it as complete devotion, throwing yourself in, throwing yourself away, not protecting the self. So it's kind of opposite sounding to the conventional definition as a sanctuary walled off from the world. And she went on to say that from the earliest days of Buddhism, people were warned about that idea, not to take refuge in a worldly sense. Take refuge in what can't be destroyed, our true self, our inner master. Or kind of like Reb says, we're flying back to our true home. Chico quoted Katagiri Roshi at one point who said that taking refuge uh, it's like the relation between body and mind. They're separate, sort of, but also not separate. Each is constantly affecting the other and they work together. This is the meaning of full devotion. It's reciprocal. We're not separate from Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. Jiko went on to say, refuge is not an escape, it's pouring yourself in. Full devotion is wholehearted or it's not refuge, she said. Throwing yourself into a place that seems mysterious, but it's full of support. 
that, that line really struck me when she said that. You're throwing yourself into a place that seems mysterious, but it's full of support. Throwing yourself in requires a deep letting go of conditions as they are, dropping our preferences. So it's pretty challenging. So that's some of what Jiko had to say about refuge. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know that I would have thought about it in those terms at all, but after hearing her speak, I thought it made a lot of sense, really. There's a short uh, story about Dogen when he was dying that illustrates just how important refuges were to him. And uh, Rep relates this story in being upright. <clears throat> As Dogen approached death, what practice did he choose? Did he enter into the utmost serene and radiant concentration, which I'm sure he probably could have? Did he perhaps give his final transcendent exposition of the authentic Dharma? This is what he did. On a long piece of white paper, he wrote three large characters, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. He hung this paper on a pillar in his sick room. And in his great illness, he roused himself to walk around that pillar. And as he walked, he chanted, I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. He brought his whole life energy forward to walk around these three jewels. He gave his whole life to Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, which means he gave his whole life to all beings. So that's, that's a little bit about the definition as I was exploring it. Um, so now we'll look at the three refuges. I'll talk a little bit about what taking refuge in Buddha means to me, and then Kelly will speak about taking refuge in Dharma. So until recently, I really hadn't thought anything at all about what it means to take refuge in Buddha. But then I learned I'd be giving a talk about this, so I started to think about it. <laughs> I've always liked chanting it. I like the way it sounds and feels. We usually chanted in Pali, which has a nice melody that, that I enjoy singing that. But in some ways, I'm, I'm partial to chanting it in English, which occasionally I do at home. I take refuge in Buddha. You know, it has a feeling of place and a kind of home, and something kind of mysteriously familiar. I looked up what Reb had to say. Uh, he said, to take refuge in Buddha means to take refuge in what you really are. Being Buddha means being unattached to your thoughts about who you are. If you think you're a worthy person or an unworthy person, not grasping those thoughts is Buddha. But in fact, being a person who has such thoughts is a necessary condition for realizing Buddha. So we can't recognize Buddha if we don't have such thoughts, and then we let them go. When we saw Arakusu, we say, Namu ki butsu, with each stitch, I take refuge in Buddha. And I learned recently the word kie is made up of two characters. Ki means to return to, to plunge in without reservation, like the Chico talked about. And the A in kie is to rely upon. So taking refuge is returning to or plunging in and relying upon returning to what we forgot we have. 
there's a short video instruction uh, online by someone named Ren Shin. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. It's B-U-N-C-E. Bunce. Bunce. Okay, thank you. And she's demonstrating the Namu Kiebutsu stitch, which is actually a nice, helpful little video. And she mentioned that Blanche Hartman used to say, I plunge into Buddha. So I, you know, after giving this thought and considering and doing a little studying, I, I think of taking refuge in Buddha as returning to awakened mind or Zazen mind, true mind, over and over and over again, just like in Zazen. You know, I find for me that's a kind of a practical, useful way to think about it. And I have faith in it from practice and experience that uh, that, that faith deepens the longer that I continue to practice. So I think we could, if we watch the time, have some comments and questions before, but make sure we leave enough time for Kelly to speak. If anyone has comments or questions. Okay. Uh, Thank you for that, Liam. I'd never heard the story about Dogen putting I take refuge on the pillar and it it's a beautiful story it's very touching to me it really hit my heart so thank you for sharing that yeah 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 it touched me too I really like that story and taking refuge for me has always it wasn't something that I willed <laughs> I just, it wasn't a willful act, taking oh. refuge. I didn't decide I'm going to, I just showed up at the Zendo, <laughs> at the temple. And, 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 but the minute you put your foot through that door, whether you know it or not, there's an opportunity to dive in, even if you're not aware you're doing it. I don't think I had the awareness of, of what I was doing. It was more of a felt sense that this was the right place for me to be at that particular time. Yeah. And, and that understanding has deepened, like you said, over time. But initially, I kind of unwittingly dove in <laughs> um, because it felt safe and it felt like the right place. Thank you. Uh, Steve? I also felt really touched by that story about Dogen um, putting the three refuges on the pole in his sick room. Unlike, well, I had heard it before, and it didn't mean much to me. I thought, how mysterious that instead of Zazen, he did that. And I sort of thought, I guess it reminded me to, to be open to different practices because when I first heard it, it was, Zazen was very new to me and I was, and I was sort of like of this school that Zazen is everything and everything else is extra. And part of me still is like that, but my experience of being in the sick bed recently in a hospital for almost a week, I think that made that 
can really empathize with putting one's whole energy into something simple like walking around the pool, you know, because it's so hard to rouse that energy when, when you're sick or, or, you know, in my case, I wasn't sick, I had broken bones, but I was convalescing. So, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that on Wednesday about how uh, maybe we don't always emphasize these things enough. We're kind of all about Zazen. I saw a hand come out from one side there. Was that Zach? Yes. Uh, thank you. You're making me think. Um, oh, that? Stop that. Not during Zazen. One thing I, I haven't really thought about, but when I come here, or coming, having, coming here, one thing I have learned, I think, is to sort of crack open a little bit and um, and have more feelings about things versus being analytical and that type of thing. And I think that's because there's a safety here that I don't necessarily feel outside. So um, I guess I take take refuge in Zendo also, <laughs> which I think is the, the Dharma, the Sangha and everything. So, so yes, there is a safety here, I think, and, a, and an encouragement. Thank you. Thank you. Mary? <laughs> it just reminded me of uh, that what is the line at the end of the book on Zazengi about the you know do this practice and that you if you do this practice of the ancestors you are you are assured of being a person such as they and your treasure store will open of itself hmm. and you will use it at will but that sense of what Kate what Kate reminded me of you know that sense that it will open of itself. Right. You know? and, and it seems like that's partly implicit in what you were talking about, that it, it isn't and, and the, or the combination of you and Kate, that it isn't something that you say, okay, now I'm going to do it. It just, it, uh, it deepens as you, as you practice. Right. You might say, okay, now I'm going to do it, but it probably isn't going to work that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you don't find a home that way, you know, if you go somewhere new, you know, you feel awkward at first, and then, and then after a while you notice, oh, I feel comfortable in this Zendo. I, I, I think I fit here. Yeah. But it takes, you know, it just sort of happens, but it doesn't happen immediately. Anyway, I just, I like that last couple of lines of the, of the Fukan Zazenki, but it just, it just really reminded me of it. And, and thank you for reminding us of the story of Dogen and the walking around the pole. I hadn't thought of that in a really long time. Is it to me? It's up to you. We lost Kate. Yeah, you know, I lost the Zoom connection earlier, and I had a really hard time getting back in. So maybe she's something like that. 
when I, when I walked in earlier, uh, no one was on the screen, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> I need Liam. <laughs> uh, thank you, Liam, that was wonderful. I, it, it occurs to me, uh, you know, I've had to give a lot of presentations places lately, and uh, often to audiences that did not necessarily want to hear what I had to say. And um, recently I had to give a talk to 98 financial officers for the county of Marin and, um, you know, not the friendliest audience. So it just occurs to me that I'm so grateful to be talking to this group of people. And in, in one very large way, I'm like, this feels like taking refuge to me, you know, Katagiri, and I, I mentioned this later, um, described the Sangha as a, a group of excellent friends. And, and I'm, I'm feeling very grateful to be able to have this with a group of excellent friends. So thank you. Um, <laughs> so when I, uh, first came into Zendo and, and uh, started vowing to take refuge in Dharma, I assumed that to mean uh, the teachings. And then basically, uh, read in my brain is the teachings are helpful. And um, I grew later, and, and I think like many of us, I just said that and um, saw what would come of it. Later, I started to um, experience that the teachings were actually comf comforting to me as well. You know, I found that when I was troubled, I could I could uh, read someone. I could read the Dogen. I have a four volume set of Shobhagenzo that I've gotten through the first volume of. Um, I could read Joko Beck. I could read a, a lot of different people who were trying to express the Dharma. And it actually, without me intellectually understanding, I would feel better. And so in some ways, I, um, I felt like that was experientially starting to take refuge in the Dharma. I um, remember when, uh, when I was convalescing and had, uh, was unable to walk for a long time, about three months, um, I remember Mary coming over and uh, discussing Shiraka uh, Makasu with me and feeling so comforted by that, just like feeling like I was not missing anything of the world at all because, because we were able to discuss that. And to me, that was taking refuge in the Dharma. When I vowed to take refuge in Sangha, I assumed that meant you, everyone here, and Kate, and people uh, who are not here today. And, um, and I think in some ways that is true. Um, in a large way, that is true. So I, uh, as I discovered I was about to have to talk about this, I realized I needed to expand my definition a bit. Uh, so I looked at Rev Anderson's uh, definitions of Dharma and Sangha and being upright. Uh, for Dharma, he says, freedom from any difference between ourselves and Buddha. He also says, 
the truth that is realized by a Buddha. And he says, he describes Dharma as the transformation of that truth into scriptures and other forms of teaching. Pretty good. Sangha, he describes it as harmony and also a community of those who practice the truth realized by a Buddha. And the release of beings from suffering and bondage to the world of birth and death. That, will, that last one I found tricky, so I'm going to read it again. The release of beings from suffering and bondage to the world of birth and death. So it's really interesting for me to discover as I was researching this talk that a lot of people want to write about taking refuge in Sangha and a lot less seem to want to write about taking uh, refuge in Dharma. I don't know why this is. That, that was at least my experience of researching it. My suspicion is that I can say Sangha and define it as you, and I can say Dharma and it's harder to define. Um, I suspect that's part of it. I also suspect that um, I, I, I think uh, uh, I think it was Dogen who said Sangha is the greatest of all of the, the treasures. So that might be why people are focused on it a lot. But I wanted to kind of break them down, take them one by one. So for the Dharma, I read some Robert Thurman, Uma's dad. And he said, Dharma is our own reality that we seek to understand fully, to open fully. Dharma, therefore, also consists of those methods and the teaching of those methods that are the arts and sciences which enable us to open ourselves. The practice that we do, which will open us, which follow the, the, those teachings, which implement them in our lives, in our practice, and in our performance, which deploy those arts, they are also dharma. So that's a lot, but uh, it works for me. Uh, I believe another way to go at this is to say that dharma are a broad set of tools and techniques that we might use to find out what we, and we're talking about a really broad sense of we, really are. Uh, here's Aiken's take on it from uh, Mind of Clover. The ocean of essential nature is the nature of Buddha extending through the whole universe with each and everything totally void. I bow to embody that tranquility. That's a really good one. I love that. I bow to embody that tranquility. It is beyond explanation. Um, the Dharma is incomparably profound and minutely subtle. When we say that it is a presentation of all the possibilities of essential nature in full flower as they are, intimately interacting, with each being perfectly reflecting and interpenetrating each other's being, we are just explaining. The Dharma is not philosophy. I, I just I think that's wonderful. <laughs> he ramps you up on a, a mountain of text and, and says, there's when you are describing it as this beautiful thing and this beautiful thing and this complicated thing, you're just talking. Um, boy, that's wonderful because it, it pulls the rug right out from under my feet when he does that. He explains to me that he is, is 
that I, I can't intellectually understand it. Or maybe I can find some understanding in it, but I'm not going to be able to, with my mind, encompass the Dharma. I'm going to have to experientially learn to understand it. Or maybe the Dharma will learn to understand me, which it probably already does. So, uh, let's see, when, uh, if you were in the class on Wednesday with a couple of you were, You'll remember that we talked about discussing this idea of embodying a vow, a vow as possibly being more, being more important than understanding a vow. I think that's what uh, Aiken is getting at here. Later, he clarifies, studying the Buddha's teaching, one definition of Dharma, is important, but to take refuge in the Dharma is much more than just trust in the acceptance of the teachings. It's also trusting your practice of Buddhism. Taking refuge in the Dharma, taking a passionless approach, means that all life is regarded as a fertile situation and a learning situation always. Whatever occurs, pain or pleasure, good or bad, justice or injustice is part of the learning process. So there is nothing to blame. Everything is the path. Everything is Dharma. So if everything is the path, what are we trusting? Perhaps we're trusting that we're on a path. Precepts are not actualized just because we say they are, they're actualized because we are acting on them in the way that we're living our lives, or better, maybe they're actualizing us. Dharma is experiential. When we bow, placing our heads on the floor, we are enacting the Dharma. Have you ever had the experience of res resisting the bow? And, um, and I did this for a long time, and I've heard other people express this. I resisted bowing and putting my head on the floor for a long time. I didn't like the idea. And then one day I did it, and it felt like it filled my whole body. It felt like it filled everything. Uh, I found that incredibly profound and I felt like, and I feel like now as I look back on it, that was enacting the Dharma. That was, that was, you know, resistance falling and the Dharma happening with, with me in it. And it's wonderful. So that's Dharma. Let's, let's talk about, um, taking refuge in Sangha. From uh, Zen is right here, the wisdom of Shunryu Suzuki. A student asked Suzuki Roshi if he kept an eye on his students to see if they were following precepts. I don't pay any attention to whether you're following the precepts or not, he answered. I just notice how you are with one another. So I wanted to start talking about Sangha in that way. Um, I can, I can see, you know, he seems to be indicating, he sees evidence of whether you are following all of the precepts, depending on how you interact within the, the Sangha. Liam was nice enough to share with me that Sally Tisdale uh, lecture, which was very helpful. And she said, Sangha is the greatest treasure. 
And I don't always agree with my teacher because Sangha is also the most difficult treasure. Why is it difficult? A lot of us come to this practice out of dissatisfaction with what was going on in other parts of our lives. And we come in here and discover that people come into the space and they bring those parts in with them. So we think we're coming into the Zendo to take refuge from life outside. But it's not going to work because the community is going to bring life outside in. Again, Sally Tisdale says, for a long time we say, I take refuge in the Sangha with some conditions. With some reservations, I take refuge in that person. You know, that's, and also, you know, you come into the Sangha and it can be a little bit difficult because we tend to drop some of our social niceties when we're doing formal things. And we're silent a lot. Dogen says, we become friends without speaking. So not only are you not really getting any sort of affirmation, you're often not getting any talking at all. If you have triggers about disapproval, this may all feel very difficult. And in a large sangha, you can slip into the background and you can squint a little and the sangha can kind of be an amorphous blob of people. But that's not what we have here. We don't get to do that. Uh, in a sangha this small, each one of us is front and center. We have to have individual relationships. And, and it's, it's an important exercise. It's, it's, an important challenge. We have to um, take vows in each other individually. There are vow refuge in each other individually. Katagiri says Sangha is often called the community of excellent friends. He says that means we must be excellent friends with everyone in the Sangha, which he says is why in the United States there are lots of problems. Uh, I think category here is uh, accusing us of doing a lot of picking and choosing, which is probably fair. Um, maybe taking some time to think about what community means to us is useful. I'm not sure I can define it clearly, but I have a sense of it. Everyone here probably does too. Uh, and what are excellent friends? I don't know, maybe I'm picking and choosing just by asking. Dogen says about the Sangha, if we do not revere them, we cannot take refuge in them. So now what I'm hearing is that I know I not only have to be friends with everyone here, but I have to revere all of you too. But in some ways, I think I, think I can work with revere. If I find personally that gives me a way in. Sally Tisdale says again, I think of Sangha as that which we are up against, that which we are open to, that which we are changed by. And that feels true and for, for me and my respect for each one of your roles in that, you know, that, that which we are up against, that which we are open to, that which we are changed by, that feels like reverence to me. But I don't think necessarily just saying, oh yes, 
you you all contribute to me in that way is enough. So what I kind of wanted to do is just stop for a second and say, hey, for each one of you, Steve, thank you for that part. Liam, thank you for those challenges and and for being a part of the refuge I take here. Thank you as well. Thank you. I want to know, I want everyone here, if Kate was still here, I would say it to her as well. So she, she made a flash appearance out of <laughs> But I, I do revere you, and I don't think we say that enough. So thank you. So my practice, and I hope everyone else's can be, uh, uh, maybe can find something in this, uh, is to continue to embody reverence for everyone in the Sangha. I'll fail a lot, but I'll continue to try. And my practice will be to try to extend that reverence to the Mahasangha, to all Buddhists, to the Sangha of the Ten Quarters, which I think we could call everybody. I'll, I'll try. I'll, I'll dip a toe outside. But for right now, just know that I, I revere everyone in this Sangha. And uh, thank you very much. Any questions? Yes. yes. I almost interrupted you, but I decided to. <laughs> And you must revere yourself. Yeah, so you need point. to say thank you, Kelly. Yes, thank you, Kelly, to me. <laughs> no, excellent point. Well, it's just so, you know, I do it to everybody, does it? We forget, we forget to include ourselves. Yeah. You know? I, everybody. And, but when we, usually when I say everybody, I mean everybody else. Right. You know? So. And, and, I, and I absolutely do. As I was thinking about it, I'm like, we. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you can never get back around to me. Um, anyone else? Yeah, Zach. That was wonderful. Thank you. You're a good teacher. Before I came here, I, my tiptoe on the water was at Sonoma Mountain Zen Center. Mm -hmm. And I went up there and got a lesson in. I think I've told this story before. And um, like a million people showed up. And it was, uh, and I never went back. And then a few months later, I came here. And I was like, ah, this seems more like my kind of place. <laughs> um, there was a little more intimacy, I think. And, um, so maybe without knowing anything, I recognized a sangha that um, I could relate to more, and learn from more, and uh, and I came back a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so what you were saying reminded me of that the cracking open here. <laughs> <laughs> I I um, remember. 
saying to Mary once, we, we had done a full moon ceremony and it was pretty ramshackle that night. <laughs> I don't remember what had happened, but everyone was just off. And uh, we, we got through it just fine. And, and I remember saying to you, Mary, uh, not that day, but the later coming back and saying how delighted I was in the whole thing because it just felt like the personality of us. <laughs> because we we did our best and things were just off and we we smiled and got through it and 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 I, in some ways that that was one of the moments where I most realized I was like oh yeah this is the place for me. <laughs> yes, Steve. Yeah. This question is for. Both you and Liam Kelly. Um, what is this? I take refuge, and then later I vow. Was that V O W or V V with a V? Liam, what do you got? <laughs> I don't quite get the question. Could you could you say that again? Or a little yes. different. Sure, sure. In the three refuges, the words are, I take refuge in. Then you get to the great precepts, and it's, I vow, I vow, I vow to. What's up? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is um, with the refuges, taking we're kind of recognizing ourselves. It, it is ourselves is what comes to mind initially, the Dharma, the Buddha, the Sangha. And with the clear mind precepts, we're looking at ourselves in a different way, in our, in our kind of behavior, in our, yeah, I need to work on this. I don't know, that's just simplistically off the top of my head for the function, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too hung up on a distinction. <laughs> you know, we, we talked a little bit um, at the class on Wednesday about this idea that, that uh, with the, the clear mind precepts, they, they were in, impossible in, uh, in a lot of ways. Like, you, there's no way to absolutely follow them. And so, in some ways, I like to think that um, taking refuge is basically saying, I'm going to fail at this stuff, and this is what I'm going to, to use to fall back on or to inform my failure is, is what I've taken refuge in. Not inform my failure, that sounds really negative, but um, it's, it's what I'm going, the, these are the resources that I'm going to chew on this with. These, these are the things that are going to help me and comfort me and, and inform me. So maybe that's what you're looking at. Oh, Liam, hey. <laughs> well, I was very touched when you were talking about reverence and, and reverence for a sangha, individual sangha. And uh, a little different experience than Zach I had. Uh, I spent a little bit of time at Sonoma Mountain before moving to Vallejo, which is a much, much bigger sangha. And similarly, here at Dharma Moraine, it's a much bigger sangha. And my uh, inclination, especially uh, like at Sonoma Mountain, I'm like, oh, great, I can just hide. No one will see me. 
came to Clearwater and there are, I don't know, four or five people and it's like, where am I going to hide here? <laughs> but now I'm at a much bigger sangha and I'm, you know, I'm not really there that much. And I'm like, God, I kind of like to find a smaller group around here. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I uh, talked to, I, I've been to the, the Ashland Zen Center a few times and uh, they're, they're very large and you do just kind of mesh into the crowd. They're incredibly nice people. Um, but I discovered recently that my uh, neighbor that lives next door to the house we have up there, um, really nice guy, he um, used to go to the Ashland Zen Center when they were in a different location. And when um, they, uh, and I'm not critical of this at all, but um, when they started kind of raising funds and moving into a bigger location and the, and the crowd started to swell, he said it just wasn't what he was looking for anymore. He, he stopped going. Um, you know, the, the, for, for similar reasons as to what we're talking about, he wanted something more intimate, um, uh, something where you could kind of relate to people on a smaller basis. So I, I told him that when I moved up there, you know, I could start a, a group. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to rend them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.